Just after midnight on Monday, September 27th, 2021, this is The Midnight Ride. I'm Connor Coughlin, joined by my good friend, Paul Runyon. Paul, how was your week? Oh, it was pretty good. You know, I was, uh, it, it was nice to, to be with the kids, um, you know, working, working hard as always, um, but obviously disappointed with uh, some of our political leaders, which always seems to weigh on my mind, but uh, we're, we're, we're making it work. I got my dog well, on my lap today and <laughs> Charlie, he loves to do this podcast. So we're, uh, well, maybe, <laughs> maybe he has bark. some, maybe he has some thoughts on our political leaders. I'm sure that, uh, they're more cogent and coherent than some of them at times. Uh, I wanted to, before we started, talk about why we're called the midnight ride. And if you've heard about this podcast, uh, and, and went and looked for it and you can find us on Spotify and a few other places, you probably saw several, uh, now mothballed or, or no longer operational podcasts named The Midnight Ride. Obviously, that is a reference to Paul Revere and, and Paul Revere, the guy that sounded the warnings about the British coming. And, and we're sort of taking a look at what's going on in Washington and, and in all of our communities and trying to sound the alarm ourselves. Hey, do you think that uh, high school students know who Paul Revere is now? Do you know? I mean, I, I don't. I mean, I learned about it, but I, I know that, that it seems that somehow the history of our country is now different than it used to be. I don't, I didn't know history changed like that, but. Well, but. you know, we, we may get into that in our, in our final segment today, but I think the, the education of our history is clearly failing. And uh, I, I'm, I'm curious to see that. I, I imagine they still do teach that, but it's probably less emphasized. They probably talk more about uh, genocide and and other you know. Well, I don't know. Is Paul Revere a racist? They could have gone yeah, back he, and clearly Paul Revere's you know opinions uh, and and his his feelings on diversity, equity, and inclusion wouldn't stand up to scrutiny in twenty twenty one. Yeah, I mean, didn't Paul Revere or or I don't remember if that was Patrick Henry. Maybe I'm getting my own history wrong here, so maybe I'm falling into the same spot, but. But uh, I know that the church was big back then uh, in country and respected, and, and as you and I still do, but I know many don't. So I wonder if, if uh, some of our atheist friends out there might have some issues well, with Paul that's Revere. A, but. That's a very good question. And I actually uh, have been invited uh, to go talk to some, some high school kids. And I know that there's uh, you know, a big chasm in terms of you know, the historical knowledge um, that's, that's developing with some of our young folks. So it's, it's something to keep an eye on, but more important and more pressing right now is a $5 trillion spending spree that is possibly about to happen in next week in Washington, DC, uh, under president Biden's name, build back better. It's split into two bills, of course, but the, the term infrastructure is developing a whole new meeting in America. I don't know necessarily what Build Back Better even means. I, I I'm not sure what what they're building back. Uh, it sounds to me like they're sort of building a big pork farm. Uh, might be the only thing that's getting that's getting built built back better. I mean, I was I was looking through this bill to see what they've stuck in there, and uh, I know we've we've got a, a tax break for musicians. Uh, that allow them to deduct the cost of qualified sound recording productions by up to $150,000. I know we, there's a 15% refundable tax credit if you get an electric bike. 
which uh, I found interesting. I didn't know that bicycles pedaling was that bad for the environment, but I guess you need to, uh, you know, I, I, maybe an electric one is better for the environment than one where you just use your own strength. Um, Th- this, that was interesting. There, there is a lot of <laughs> environmental language in the larger bill. Uh, and of course, you know, let's just to clarify, there's a $1.5 trillion infrastructure bill that both the Republicans, enough Republicans in the House and Senate have agreed to, or in the Senate at least, have agreed to sign off on that this infrastructure bill, which has a lot of traditional infrastructure, roads, bridges, power grids, et cetera, but also a lot of environmental projects, um, renewable energy, et cetera, has already essentially passed. It hasn't been formally passed because Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer are holding it hostage for the larger sort of omnibus $3.5 trillion pork farm, as you say. Yeah. I mean, that's this, the infrastructure bill that was sort of, you know, that was kind of jointly agreed upon by uh, people in the Senate. I mean, there are some good things in there. I'm I'm not going to sit here and say that our airport, our airports aren't an embarrassment. Uh, you know, I mean, you you fly in. I don't know if anybody's flown into LAX recently or some of our big international gateway airports, and and you think you're in a third world country, um, especially in some of these these blue states. The roads are falling apart. So that's all. I think a lot of that, you know, infrastructure is important, but they seem to have this thing that they call human infrastructure, which they're just twisting twisting the name and I don't I don't even understand it in this this big bill they've got you know I found and this one is interesting uh, they've got a, uh, a, a language in the bill that exempts local news journalists from the employer side of the payroll tax so that means that if you're a, a, a journalist uh, you know normally with the way payroll tax works is you've got employee contributes to it and the employer contributes to it. If you're a local news journalist, you don't have to pay it. Only the employer does. So that's, uh, you know, sounds to me like the, the obviously the Democratic Party, you know, one of their, their, their big political base is the, the journalism industry um, because we know how they all think. So uh, that they're well, catering to that special interest group, apparently. <laughs> clearly, you, you know, you're touching on, and first of all, on the infrastructure bill, I agree with you. And anytime you can get Republicans and Democrats to agree on something, well, we either should be very, very afraid or we should say, well, hey, bipartisanship in this day and age is rare, especially, you know, this is a good thing when you, when you talk about, you know, our business and our country just being able to, to move forward into the 21st century. I'm okay with that bill, but it's being held hostage for this social safety net bill, which looks like it sort of along the lines of the extended unemployment insurance and all the debacles we've seen this year, like something that will increase dependency on the government. Well, there's a couple pieces uh, to this bill. And, you know, I, what, a lot of those sort of pork tax provisions I was mentioning are, are one piece, but you've got kind of two things going on. One is we've already got inflation. Costs are going up. If the government decides to print more money, it's going to put more money into the system and it's going to cause uh, even greater inflation. So all of this quote unquote relief for American families that the president likes to talk about is just going to get wasted away in inflation. It's not going to mean anything. So that's 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 the first piece. Um, And, uh, you know, the other the other big piece, 
of it is that to me, this sounds kind of like legal. I mean, I, in my opinion, normally when you bribe somebody, it's like you're giving them, you, you offer them money to do something for you. This sounds an awful lot like, hey, American people, we're going to give you more checks. Just vote for us. Doesn't it sound like that? <laughs> oh, very much so. And that's why every Republican in Congress is voting against it. Um, you talked about the inflation, which is already starting to hurt ordinary Americans. Let me read you this tweet from the president over the weekend. On Saturday, he tweeted out, my Build Back Better agenda costs zero dollars. Instead of wasting money on tax breaks, loopholes, and tax evasion for big corporations and the wealthy, we can make a once-in-a-generation investment in working America. And it adds zero dollars to the national debt. Yeah, where did he come, where did he come up with that? I don't even think – I think that there – because I don't think there's any members of Congress that even agree to anything on a bill that's – that's going to be neutral. I don't think any of the studies, I don't have them in front of me, but I don't think any of the the studies have said that there's going to be uh, nothing added to the deficit. No, I, this, this seems highly dubious. Uh, one other thing, last week, the Senate parliamentarian ruled that one of the components of this reconciliation bill, which was the immediate granting of citizenship to several million illegal aliens, was not uh, was not allowed under the uh, reconciliation process. So uh, basically, that part of the Build Back Better agenda, which I'm not sure a lot of Americans are pining for. Yes, some of them want relief, but you know, you notice all of these hardcore left things are inserted into this bill, and they can pass this bill without any Republican support. Two, Rep two Democratic senators, though, and if you live in the states of West Virginia and Arizona, uh, we need your help. Two, these two senators, uh, Joe Manchin of West Virginia and Kristen Cinnamon of Arizona, they're saying they will not support. Is that that's? Am I reading that right? Well, they're saying they're they won't support it at this level. I think the number that that uh, that Manchin and West Virginia had floated was closer to one point five trillion. I think something. They, they are going to end up supporting something. So, uh, you know, I don't think it's going to be $3.5 trillion, but the, there's nothing for sure in the House either. Remember, the closer that things get to the end of the year, uh, the midterm elections, you're going to have a lot of people, uh, Congress people in battleground districts that are going to not want to support these huge spending priorities. So I think, I, I think the Democrats have really backed themselves into a corner here. They're almost damned if they do, damned if they don't, uh, because I think they're going to upset a lot of people either way. And, you know, I've always been, as somebody that that thinks that small government is better, I don't see what the rush is to pass these huge spending bills. I don't think that's government's role. I think it's government's role is to be small and let people make individual decisions. This This bill is just crushing people. And I don't know why uh, they're just trying to write legislation on top of other legislation on top of all other legislation and just just building this bureaucracy and making it more and more complicated for average Americans to make their way to innovate to start a business. Let me give you an example. There's there's this electric vehicle tax credit in there, and they actually go in and they differentiate. They say if you're if you produce an electric vehicle and it's done domestically and you're also a union 
company, if you're unionized, uh, it's it's the break is going to be the largest. If you're not unionized, then the tax break is even less. So a company like Tesla becomes punished because even though they're the ones that brought about the electric vehicle rev- revolution, they're not union and they're not part of the Democratic Party base. So they end up getting discriminated against. And lots and- of gifts to to their political cronies, the unions, etc. Yeah, and it's not uh- only that, but the union piece disincentivizes innovation. And this whole thing is supposed to be about the climate and getting to alternative energy. If you're promoting a union workforce, uh, you're going to hurt innovation because how is a company supposed to quickly change the production line? How are they supposed to quickly change their levels of staff? How are they supposed to quickly change their policies to get ahead of Chinese competitors if they're stuck playing by union rules all the time? And that's why the big three keep falling behind. Uh, And so this... It really this one piece just demonstrates how uh, how shallow and fake this bill is, and and I I urge and, and that that tweet and and everything else. It, it, there's just a lot of dishonesty. There a lot of this stuff was was done and written. It's always written when Americans aren't really paying attention. They're distracted. I think Americans are starting to pay attention now. Another thing we're seeing here, Paul, is that you know you've got. The Democratic Party is not a monolith, and there are a few, uh, let's call them moderate Republican, moderate Democrats, who are looking at President Biden's approval numbers and thinking, is there any chance I can stay in office after next November? And opposing this, you know, in their mind might be the only way. Yeah, that's it. That's it. People have changed, I think, with a lot of the culture culture war things. I think the COVID restrictions, just overall, people have just really feeling the weight of this oppressive government. And this bill is just going to make it even more and more oppressive and start choosing winners and losers, making people permanently dependent. Uh, I don't know why Joe Biden is calling this once in a generation. This is going to, this is going to become uh, permanent and multi-generational uh, dependence on the government forever and ever. And we're going to further uh, hurt our competitiveness and our entrepreneurship and our our freedom, and it's it's going to have terrible uh, long term effects for the country if, if this Absolutely. thing gets passed. Absolutely. Well, I, I think you can pretty much ascertain that the midnight ride is opposed to the reconciliation bill, and let's hope that Senators Cinema and Mansion continue to show some spine. If you live in any of these states, or really any state in the union. Um, I mean, I'm still, I still believe in, in writing your congressman and calling them, letting your voice be heard because call me, call me old fashioned, call me cynical, but I, I still believe that that makes a difference. It works. And the, the, the viewers have to, or the listeners out there really have to see that this is, this is really kind of Marxism being hidden. And there, this is, not going to end well. And the only way that the American people can get involved is if, is if they uh, get in, is if they write people, write their congressmen and do it now, because once these entitlements are put in place, it's almost impossible to take back. So really the once in a generational opportunity is for people that like small government. And that time is right now to stop it. Do not hesitate. Well, we'll get to Marxism in our third segment, but coming up in our second segment, Paul, I'd like to talk now about another going on 
in Washington, and that is the latest phase of the Durham probe. Thanks, Connor. Uh, There was a piece of news about a week ago that did not get too much attention in, uh, in the media. And there was actually an indictment that came out of the the Durham probe. I don't know how many people remember, but a a few years ago, there was so much around the Russia hoax and John Durham, who is a lifelong prosecutor, did a probe to get to the bottom of it. There was never really a, 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 you know, a special prosecutor appointed for this, but to find out the origins of how this whole Russia probe spying on the Trump campaign came about and the first indictment actually happened. And what that indictment was, uh, was an attorney at uh, Perkins Coie, which is a a Democratic Party linked law firm. Uh, And there was an attorney named Michael Sussman who was indicted for making false statements to the FBI. Now, if you're looking at some of the uh, some of the mainstream media, uh, and I'll actually just um, just quote uh, CNN here, but they've they've uh, they're they're essentially saying that the indictment comes as Special Counsel John Durham is nearing the conclusion of his more than two year long probe and faced a looming deadline on whether to seek charges over the handling uh, of the evidence, according to people briefed on the matter. The criminal charge on Thursday quickly became an underwhelming mark in a special counsel investigation that for years sought to unearth failures in the FBI and intelligence community's efforts in the early uh, Russia investigation. Now, what that Sound, CNN... Sounds like CNN is saying that this is a nothing burger. This is, this yeah. is a, a wild goose chase. That's what they're saying, but it's it's not even... What they're they're completely lying about it because essentially what Sussman did was when he lied to the FBI he said I wasn't working for anybody when I when I was doing this and and when I was alerting people to all of this and in fact he was he was uh, working for the Hillary Clinton campaign and that to me sounds like a little bit more than a nothing burger don't you Well first of all let's just you know whether you you supported President Trump or or you did not. Uh, I, I think it's important to examine. You know what happened in in 2016 and and how all of that came about because basically, you know the the president was not, he he was never really allowed to be president in, in a sense. Um, you know, and this, the behavior of, you know, the FBI, the people that issued the, the you know, the FISA court, et cetera, you know, the, there was a lot of dishonesty there and, and what, uh, you know, was tantamount to basically a political hit job. It was. And effectively. And you can say that and acknowledge, you know, President Trump's failings and, and, and everything that happened after he lost to President Biden, very disappointing. I mean, whether you like him or you don't, we in America should care about the Durham probe because we're a banana republic if we're ruled by uh, intelligence agencies or, or you know, corporate-owned media. I mean, if you have fake information being fed to 
uh, our law enforcement and intelligence agencies. And then the, uh, these agencies open up a probe uh, based on this fake information without even doing the research to understand that it was fake. That's a real problem. I mean, I, that, that seems to be uh, something that would happen in the Soviet Union. And I wonder where this is going. I mean, now is, is Dorham going to ask Sussman to, to turn on anybody? Is this going to get deeper? I feel like the main, uh, the main, the Durham report, I mean, what is going to be in this report when it comes out? But I feel like there's, there's so much here. I mean, if, if they can prove that the Hillary Clinton campaign made this whole thing up, I feel like there are going to be, uh, whether, whether there's going to be criminal acts or not, it's going to be shown to be, um, uh, really dirty. And, you know, is this something that's going to just be covered up in the mainstream media or is it actually going to be reported on? What do you think? I, I think it will be covered up in the mainstream media. I mean, this is basically being framed as a politically motivated fishing expedition. Mr. Durham was nominated by the attorney general, I believe, in the Trump administration. Um, and again, it, it's just sad that Americans can get their news from a certain source that that basically weighs in on whether this is a story or not and, and say, Oh, well, no, that's, that's fake news. Um, and I, I think all, like I said, all Americans should care about this because, you know, the, I think it has broad implications on future elections and, and, uh, really if this sort of thing went on, a price needs to be paid. Some people need to go to jail. They do. And I also, what also scares me is what this has to do with privacy uh, of average people. Because according to the indictment, there was another client that Sussman was working for, and it was an unidentified cyber expert and executive known as Tech Executive One, who is expecting to get an important government cybersecurity job if Clinton was elected. So uh, the the executive made clear in the indictment that he had no interest working for Trump. So this is showing that private companies having arrangements with the government that provide them with access to non-public information. Uh, what is it, does this mean that the government can work with these firms to just get any information on political opponents? And what does this mean uh, when it comes to the FISA court? Can members of the House and Senate uh, oversight committees on intelligence that want to go after an enemy request some of the mask data that the NSA scoops up and ask for it to be unmasked and then go after political opponents. This this indictment is very scary because it shows what some of these people are capable of uh, when they want to go after political enemies. And, you know, we, we've talked before many times, Paul, about the power of big tech and um, you know, the, the power of our intelligence agencies, it, it is very, very scary at times. Um, and maybe right now, you know, people of the Democratic persuasion, meaning the Democratic Party, are, are blowing this off. But we really should all care about this because this can be used by Democrats. It can be used by Republicans. You might remember a president we had named Richard Nixon. Um, and so we all should want to root out this sort of stuff from our national politics because it, it's really, it, it could affect any one of us. 
I and I I support the mission of these intelligence agencies. These are good people. They're working hard. I think it's the and you know their job really is to you know gather information and and analyze and provide. But they're sort of held hostage by political overlords. And I don't think that it's. I think it's it uh, when this power can get abused, it gets dangerous, and we don't want to go there. No, you're absolutely right. I mean, people in the Federal Bureau of Investigation, Central Intelligence Agency, NSA, the, the, they join this. They join this community to defend our republic, and they do a great job. Uh, how many terrorist attacks have been thwarted? Uh, we will never know. But as we saw, you know, in 2016, and and in the subsequent years with people like Peter Strzok and others, uh, if you get partisans in there, these agencies are supposed to be apolitical, but when they start to work for one political party or the other, that's when you start to resemble the People's Republic of China or Soviet Union uh, when you have a state-run intelligence agency that works for one party. Speaking of the Soviet Union, uh, and, and communist China. Um, an interesting discussion developed last week between a couple of uh, people who were, I would say, long on the same, you know, have always been on the same team. And I'm talking about Bill Maher and Whoopi Goldberg. Bill Maher recently coming out and saying, hey, I, I just was watching the NFL kickoff uh, last week. He saw the game between uh, he saw the Tampa Bay Buccaneers in the opening game, and uh, he saw that they sang two national anthems, or at least that's what they claim. Um, and one was being billed as the Black National Anthem. And he he basically said he didn't say that uh, they should stop playing that song. He just said, "Let's just play one, whether that be, you know, the Black National Anthem or the Star Spangled Banner." The whole point of having a national anthem is to unify. We shouldn't have more than one. And Whoopi Goldberg came out and criticized him. And, uh, and then Bill Maher basically you know, came off the top rope and, and sort of educated her and a lot of people who claim to be liberals about Marxism and how they seek to divide us. A really interesting debate that we're starting to see seep into – well, we're not starting to see it. It's been in – academia for a long time. But we're, you know, Mar touched on the fact that college campuses around the country are starting to segregate their students. Oh, can I just say something about this national anthem thing? I, I think that we, I'm offended that we only have two national anthems before the game. I think they should probably add maybe two hours before the game starts. I think we should have a transnational anthem. Maybe we can, we can do that. Uh, there could be a a questioning national anthem. I think that's in the queue area. That might be important. We don't want to leave those folks out. I think uh, let's get all of the races. Suppose you're, you're part, suppose there's a, you're half uh, white, half uh, a- Asian American. You could have a, a half. Uh, I mean, that, that that's kind of where anthem. we're headed. Well, I don't, I mean, I think that would be great. We'll think of how we, we just honor everybody and, Maybe we don't even play the football game. Maybe we just spend three hours listening to different national anthems of different groups. What do you think? I, I, yeah, I think a lot of people on on that side of the political aisle would be happy with that. That that's kind of what Mar said. Is you know, are we going to have you know a national anthem for every letter in the uh, LGBTQ 
IA LMNOP, you know, anthem, uh, uh, because what they're seeking to do is divide us. And a lot of people don't see that. But he referenced a survey recently of 173 colleges, and they found that more than two-fifths of them had segregated dormitories, and 72%, almost three in four of these colleges, had, had separate graduation ceremonies for white students and students of color. Where are we going in this country? There's a few really alarming incidents that have that have happened. I I saw today on uh, on Breitbart that there was an issue at Arizona State where there was a, a viral video showing two white students studying in the school's multicultural center. Yeah. Now and, we should point out that, and and this is neither here nor there, but the student one of the students had a T-shirt or something that said, you know, I didn't vote for Biden or or you know Joe Biden sucks or something like that. Yeah, they but both- there's nothing there's nothing wrong with that. I think one had a Police Lives Matter sticker on it, which on his laptop. Yeah, y- yeah, something. which they claimed that what that that's saying Police Lives Matter is white supremacy or white yes. nationalism. I don't know where that comes from because I think in in many of uh, police seem to come from all over the uh, racial and cultural spectrum. Sure. But th- those students had actually tried to get their own building, and uh, when you know, w- but when they finally got that that large room, the multicultural room, they basically apparently think that it's. And you heard them say in the video that you got a oh, typical cis white male attitude. They don't want heterosexual white males in that space. They want to have their own space, and I don't think anywhere on the campus is there a space for any specific ethnic or gender group. I mean, the whole point of academia is to be exposed to different ideas and different cultures and different peoples. And, uh, you know, this kind of flies in the face of of the American ethos. So when Plessy versus Ferguson happened, that said that separate, separate but equal is constitutional. So, you know, under that rule, I guess, if I guess some of these folks support Plessy versus Ferguson before Brown versus the the Board of Education overruled it and said that it is not. Because from what I'm what what I'm seeing now is separate but equal is not equal according to the Supreme Court. And I always learned that that Brown versus the Board of Education righted that wrong. And and it seems now that many of these students are going the opposite direction and trying to go back to the eighteen hundreds. When, uh, when this was a thing and when students were separated by race? Well, they are, but, but let's, let's be real here. I don't think these kids really know what they're doing. They're, they are pawns in, in, a, in a bigger game. And, you know, it, it really is, and you, you talked about Marxism earlier in, in the pod, you know, Marxist intellectuals in the West have kind of, had kind of a, a tough time getting their ideas through a country w- that had a large middle class. There wasn't, there weren't those class lines they could exploit. And, and so in America, what they're doing is they are, they are, they saw an opportunity in, you know, in the, in the Michael Brown killing and Ferguson and all of that. And so now they are trying to divide our country along racial lines and and they're doing it, I think, with very great effect in our universities. 
And let's not forget, if you divide people and put people in their own small groups, it then reduces the broader power that each group has. So that that whole saying of united we stand, divided we fall, if you are able to, to bring these people apart, put them in their own small group and have them fight for that, that individual small group is going to have less power. It creates these small groups fighting with each other and it allows uh, political overlords to have their way without having to worry about a uh, united population saying, no, this is not okay because you've put people into these small groups that just care about themselves and you end up with, uh, with a country that loses a lot of its uh, uh, identity and its power and just co- turns into a whole big group of warring factions. And uh, that's how uh, communism and Marxism and the, the Mao Cultural Revolution, that's how all of that came to be. And you can see it happening in real time here. Yeah, great, great point, Paul. And I mean, this, it'd be interesting to see the, the, line, the, nar- the line of the narrative and when this all started. And, and see if there were any other events, whether it was the financial collapse or other things, because I think the elites are quite happy to see, you know, all of the plebes out there, you know, ripping each other apart. And, and you're absolutely right that, you know, these groups will lose their power and then eventually they'll start fighting amongst themselves. I mean, there's sort of a hierarchy now, I think, in, in some of these in some of these universities, et cetera. I mean, right now, I think there's probably no better group to be a part of than maybe the transgender group. Yeah, it's it's these, they tend to, it tends to go in who's trendy at the moment. And right now it seems like transgender is, is very trendy and that's a, a good group to be a part of. What What is a group that does not seem to be a good part of is uh, is if you're Jewish. And there was actually a new study, I saw this in Forbes by the Brandeis Center for uh, Human Rights Under Law, that um, show, showing really one in five students uh, hide their Jewish identities in campus settings uh, for fear of being victims of, uh, of, of discrimination. And uh, hate as hate crimes against Jewish students are at an all-time high. So right there, you're starting to see these factions turning against each other, the fear, uh, and actually in, in what just happened, I don't know if anybody saw this week, but there was a, a fight on the uh, the House floor about protection of the Israel uh, Iron Dome missile defense system. And you had uh, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. I like you, you know, I tend to use, you, you tend to use the a better, say her name with a better accent than I do, but, but, um, but, but she- That was pretty good. Yeah, do you want to say it? Can you just say her no, name? Alexandria Ocasio Cortez. Yeah, very was, good. Much, that was you are, pretty good. Yeah, you are much better than I am. But <laughs> but the <laughs> I'll just call her Alex. How about that? But she, but AOC she, AOC yeah, a- AOC. But she she fought to to strip funding from this uh, Iron Dome system uh, to protect Israel. And of course, as we know, man, the American people support of Israel is is something that uh, is broadly popular. But she comes out of Boston University. Uh, she has uh, tends to support this uh, division of. She talks a lot about indigenous people, and she's you know you talk about when this whole thing started. I think you're seeing some of these members of Congress come in in their late twenties, early thirties. Uh, I think you're going to see more of that. 
that have this kind of segregationist viewpoint. And so we're probably looking at it. It probably really started when they were in college is when it was happening. So it's we're now starting to see the results of this in our elected officials. Um, but let's let's be honest. One one action that she took that really shows how fake all of this is, is when they actually restored the Iron Dome funding. She voted present instead of voting no, because she I think she wants to run for Senate against Chuck Schumer and she doesn't want to be claimed as being anti-Israel. So it's just once again, I, I think that that is an indication of there's no real thought to protect these groups or any support of these groups. It's all about dividing and 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 politics, and that's why they're doing it. And and I think uh, uh, AOC with that present vote just shows that she doesn't really mean what she's saying. She's just doing this. I, I, to and I think divide she was brought to up. tears by that vote. By the way. Well, one, oh, the crocodile tears, maybe uh, sort of, of like sort of like her crocodile tears at the border at the border when Trump fence. was president, but no tears now with the Haitian migrants, none. Just just at the border at the at the border fence a few years well, ago. Well, one thing <laughs> that that we're seeing, just getting back to the colleges for a sec, is and really in in a lot of corporate you know boards and corporate training engines, uh, the military is this term equity, diversity, equity, and inclusion. And, you know, you mentioned earlier, Paul, about how the kids don't know our history. And a lot of them are being taught that America is not a great nation. America is, as we know, the greatest nation in the history of the earth. And we didn't start out with equality under the law for our citizens. But in July of 1868, the eight, the 14th Amendment of the Constitution was ratified, which, which states, it just a little reminder here that no state shall make or enforce any law which shall abridge the privileges or immunities of citizens of the United States, nor shall any state deprive any person of life, liberty, or property without due process of laws, nor deny to any person within its jurisdiction equal protection under the law. So equal protection under the law is what makes our country great. That's equality, equality under the law. Equity is something entirely different. It's something that's being pushed at these universities. It's why you have uh, discrimination in the applications process. It's why you have some of these uh, segregation policies. And it's it's a stupid term. It's clearly a, a Marxist uh, buzzword. And it's something that that is not doing any good for our society. Yeah, I'm, equity is really focused on equal out, outcomes. I think where equality is uh, given is giving people the same resources and opportunities. Equity recognizes that each person has different circumstances and allocates the exact resources and opportunities needed to achieve an equal outcome. We're not. This is not about equal outcome. We're not trying to do this. That's that's kind of a, a communist thing. We're trying to to give people the resources to succeed on their own. Uh, and that's that's where there's an issue is is you can't you can't predetermine people's outcomes. I mean, do you want to have a doctor that that, uh, you know, failed every medical exam be just so, because they had to have an equal outcome based on their race or their gender or whatever? I wouldn't want to go to that doctor. Of course not. Yeah. Of course not. And that's where we're headed. And that's what's scary on these college campuses is that they're really trying to turn everybody into these these robots 
and what's made this economy the greatest economy on earth and created more wealth for uh for any civilization in history is is going to go down the tubes because uh you're going to be vilified for being successful and that's yeah. that's really what they what they ultimately hope to do is to end capitalism that's what all of this is about we'll have to keep an eye on what's going on in the college campuses um you know it's it's really incumbent upon all of us to speak out when we see this quote unquote equity infringing upon fairness and and our constitutional rights to equal protection under the law uh, no deprivation of of life or liberty or property etc that's when we have to we all have to speak out about this and and you're starting to see people like Bill Maher and others have these red pill moments and and you know, I'll, I'll close, Paul, by saying that I have not watched an NFL game since this Black National Anthem. And it's a beautiful song, especially when Alicia Keys sings it. I have no issues with the song, but I do have an issue with telling 12% of America that they have a separate national anthem from the other folks. It's, it's, it's just flat out wrong. Well, I haven't watched an NFL game since they started kneeling for the uh, American national anthem. I mean that I, I I find that to be a national embarrassment. I don't know, you know, you're as a professional athlete. I know you're making millions and millions of dollars, and you're in this ivory tower and this bubble. Um, but you're also a role model. You represent. You do represent your country on the national stage, and to really say that you're not proud of your country by essentially uh, something that's been completely made up with this uh, racist police narrative, which we'll get to in future episodes, I'm sure, uh, to me was pretty alarming, especially with all of the the police friends that I have that are working so hard in dangerous environments. And, and it's, it's scary what's happening. And, and, you know, it really is. And that's, that's a great point, Paul is, is the, it's the national anthem now, but it really started with the kneeling. And, and they're really pushing this idea that, um, America doesn't represent us. And, um, and these are spoiled, pampered, multimillionaire athletes. Uh, most black Americans love America and, and they don't like this garbage. And uh, we just got to make sure that our kids are not indoctrinated into Marxist thought. And it's something we'll have to keep an eye on. We'll also keep an eye on this week, the goings on in Congress to see if that 3.5 trillion, we'll say $5 trillion spending spree uh, passes in Congress. And we'll see you next week uh, on the Midnight Ride. We want to thank all of our listeners for listening to our first couple of podcasts. If you like it, tell a friend. And uh, we'll see you next week on the Midnight Ride. For Paul Runyon, I'm Connor Coughlin. Until next time.